Aberdeen. Okay. And your little girl there. Hello. What's her name? Her name is uh, Isabella. Isabella. Hello, Isabella. You know, this is, I would, you know, I, I'd like to have my grandkids come in, you know, kind of show them off and show them. My son's like, no. <laughs> Don't get my kids involved in your stuff, you know. It's bad enough we had to live through it. But, you know, they're pretty cool. They, they grew up libertarian. That's one of the things that, you know, you're a big proponent of is you know how you raise your children i mean i'm i'm all about generation next man we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna grow them <laughs> we're gonna grow the the solution to this whole thing we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna breathe the bad guys out you know i'm all hip to that but you know the, the i want to get this one issue out we got plenty to talk about we're gonna go on about irs and doe and nsa and obama's tracking and doing and political opposition whatever and even though it's stefan molyneux from toronto i bet you're on some nsa list de la who the hell is this guy infecting the minds of our livestock we can't have that happen so you know, you know that stefan molyneux's name on some list, then I'm always kind of like it. You know, if you're going to be on the list, it's better and safer to be on top of the list. So I try and you know move my <laughs> way up. You know, it's, I think it's safer. So, but um, you've been ill. Go ahead and take this opportunity. We're all concerned about you. Go ahead and tell everybody everything, how you're diagnosed, what the symptoms are, your treatments, how it's going, what you're doing, because we always look forward to seeing you at Pork Fest. Well, you're like, I'm not going to that camping out bacterial infested. I'm my immune system's down with all these freaking young people and dirty feet kind of what, oh my God, what would happen, you know? So I understand that. But uh, maybe we might see you at Libertopia. So go ahead and tell the audience, uh, give us an update on how you're doing, man. Sure. Well, I'm doing well. Um, and uh, as you can see, I've combined the um, the bald look uh, from my treatments with a white background to look uh, completely like I'm from the future. Uh, what happened was about Bubble a year boy, ago, Stephon. I had a little lump under my neck and um, um, it was sort of tracked here and misdiagnosed up here in the wonderful socialist paradise of Canadian healthcare. And then I eventually, um, after being told that I was still months away from any kind of um, a solution. Uh, I went to the states. I went to the great paradise of free market medicine, at least what's left of it, uh, in Oklahoma City. And uh, I had the lump removed. It was biopsied, and unfortunately, there were some lymphoma cells in there, which is a kind of bloodborne cancer. So I'm going through a very short uh, round of uh, chemo and a little bit of radiation. Um, they've not found anything anywhere else in the body, so it was very localized, and this is more preventive. And my chance of recurrence when all is said and done is uh, in the single digits. Uh, so it's um, not been too bad. Um, uh, I've had a little bit of nausea and a little bit of tiredness. Um, but uh, other than that, um, it's mostly fine. It's a very positive prognosis. You know, if you're going to have to have cancer, this is the one you want. And so I remain cautiously optimistic about where this is heading from here. And enormously grateful to the uh, surgeons at the Oklahoma Surgical Center, uh, which I'd highly recommend. I've actually done an interview with them. And uh, they did a, just a fantastic job. So um, it was, uh, you know, obviously it's not what you want to hear, but, you know, it's stranger. And, you know, some really good things can come out of something like this. You know, I feel uh, richer, deeper. Uh, I feel more in love with life, with my wife, with my friends, with my daughter. Uh, I feel calmer. You know, there's nothing like nothing like chemo to kill your worry cells. You know, <laughs> you just don't worry about that much when you've got such a stark choice ahead of you. So uh, it's not a recommended way for personal growth, but there's a lot of good stuff you can get out of even a crappy sandwich like this. So uh, it's um, not altogether a negative experience, if that makes any sense. No, no, no. I understand. I, you know, got 94 
uh, right after the, the election that year, I got in uh, a bad fire. You know, I was burned. You know, uh, my right arm is you know grafting from my leg and all this kind of stuff. And and there was a. I tell you what happened. We got so many Christmas presents that year because it happened right around Thanksgiving. My kids the next year they go, hey, uh, you know, you got a good leg. <laughs> <laughs> you get some burn, you get some, you know, whatever. We get more presents, you know. So they kind of had a, you know, silver lining on the thing, you know. But I'm like, you know, the, the one thing that I really, um, uh, you know, this segment, we've got a few more minutes. Um, the health care that you chose to do, what, how did you arrive at that? I mean, because I, I know the audience, a bunch of them, oh, uh, chemo, oh, yeah, oh, he's got, you know, well, it's, uh, you know, it's Stefan's body. Guess what? You know, he's going to do whatever he's going to do the way he wants to do it for reasons he wants to do it. Can you share with your uh, research and your process what you went through to come to the decision how you're going to treat this? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm the, the healthcare system obviously makes profit off treatment uh, for the most part, and it makes profit off treatment, not prevention. Uh, this is the unfortunate aspect of socialized medicine, which, of course, is more than half the U.S. healthcare system as well. Uh, I'm very much an empirical fact-based kind of guy, and I certainly did invite people who wanted to send in the double-blind experiments that prove that coffee enemas and cannabis oil and so on is is going to cure me. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of information that is really well-tested as far as that goes, and this isn't the kind of illness that you really want to mess around with. But mostly I relied upon, you know, I have some listeners who are doctors, and they are the ones who recommended this form of treatment. They are anarchists and capitalists and empiricists and rationalists, so um, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and try experimenting on myself when faced with a potentially life-threatening illness. That would be irresponsible, you know, as a husband, as a father, as um, a thinker. Uh, so I just I went with as much facts and with the best information that I could get from people that I trust the most who would um, not um, uh, who would not uh, give me wrong information because you know they care about me care about the show and uh, so it also it's not very I mean if it was like a year of chemotherapy I would definitely be looking for other solutions but I'm only doing four uh, which has not been particularly invasive I just did my third one uh, recently and uh, from that standpoint it's been fine. Stefan, I got you. Yeah, we're back. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's uh, it's been pretty pretty mild and pretty fine. I, I've not really had any interference with my uh, daily. So from that standpoint, uh, I felt it was the best approach to get the best uh, outcome that's medically and scientifically proven. I mean, what else can you do? You know, I, I, I'm hip to that. You know, one other thing. I mean, you think uh, with your recovery, just one last thing. Are you going to be uh, able to go to Libertopia? You think you'll be all right by then? I have to do some radiation treatment, uh, and that's going to make my throat a little sore, so I think I'm going to take a break from all speaking until... I'm going to be late, I think October 26th, Stephanie Sell and Jeff Tucker are going to be uh, running uh, a... Um, I think in Houston they're going to be running a show, uh, so I'll be down there for that. But uh, yeah, until uh, until I'm done my treatments and uh, my voice is back to normal, uh, because it's all sort of throat-based, um, I think I'm going to take it pretty easy through through August uh, and then into September. But late September, I'll be uh, I'll be uh, back out and uh, yelling at uh, all appreciative audiences, <laughs> at least in the South. You know, uh, uh, we get a break from Stefan all the more that we want to get more Stefan. We'll be needing to get Stefan up. Okay, cool. Well, you take care of yourself, man. But while while we still got your voice, when you can comment on different things. What is this, this in general? Okay, IRS. I know you want to talk about Department of Energy a little bit. Obama does this, that, and doesn't will, and NSA and everything. What's the difference of the perspective by being in Toronto 
I, I'm wondering, because a lot of people don't really have an appreciation, you know, for the fact that you don't live in the United States. But, I mean, you're close. I mean, you might as well. I mean, Toronto, you know, what's the difference? But, you know, how does that change? Does it give you a little bit more of a see the forest, you know, instead of having a tree in your face? Or is it, uh, does it, I need to understand the perspective from being there and not here. Well, you know, Ernie, it's a little bit like sort of being outside a biosphere and seeing what's going on inside. Like when you're in the biosphere called the empire, then everything is really amplified, you know, because the laws are all hitting you, the debt is all hitting you, the blowback is all hitting you. Uh, And so when you're a little bit outside looking southward, I think you see things with a little bit more perspective. And I think that's really helpful when it comes to, to having a look at this sort of the death paroxysms of the late empire that is current. I think from that standpoint, it's really, you know, our big corruption here is some guy took a $90,000 check, maybe that he shouldn't. uh, And so there's a big investigation going on about that. But man alive, it's nothing compared to the kind of scandals that are going on in the US. I mean, this is like, you know, a soap opera from hell on steroids currently going on. It's just bam, 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 scandal after scandal after scandal. And they all just seem to be escalating uh, so considerably. And, I mean, the fact that the U.S. is scooping up almost everything that you do online, and anyone who thinks they're only scooping up metadata and not content is simply someone who hasn't learned the pattern recognition of the fact that these guys only lie when they're breathing or moving. Uh, so uh, it really is quite fascinating to see. Just You think this scandal is really bad, and then it gets completely eclipsed by the next one that's even worse. And I'm sure that there's going to be more revelations about the kind of data that the uh, government is scooping up. And the amount of power this gives to the people who have this data is unthinkable. I mean, the amount of blackmail you can put on people, the amount of economic information, the amount of, I mean, if you and I had access to this information, we'd be bazillionaires because we'd see what movements were occurring in the business world. No, they do. That's what, that's what Google is. That's what Google is. What happened was, is that, um, as you're going through the observation of what's happening, and you, you, you see that, is there an inoculation against all of this? Is there a, you know, because I know that you focus on that a lot, you know, and and you bring in, you know, from your own experiences and so on, you know, uh, as a child, then you want to, you know, kind of, you know, learn from whatever, you know, that experience has in raising the next generation and so on. What is the inoculation? That's one thing that I'm, I'm really starting to bring a lot of people that I respect together, trying to, you know, can we, can we inoculate the next generation in junior high or someone? They start questioning authority. They, it's a seventh, eighth grade junior high. The man starts giving you, I'm just a bill. And that's when they do social studies and economics and kind of in government. And then, and they start getting you, yes, yes, you need to question the man. It's your, it's your dad. I mean, you know, it's your parent. We got their program for you. I mean, you know, it's kind of so. I can see that all of this that you're that you're sharing with everyone, and the perspective that you have, and your observations on what's going on here. How do you inoculate? What's the focus of we quit perpetuating this? Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest question. You know, if you want to train a gymnast, you have to start up young. You don't take some 40-year-old smoker and say, hey, we're going to put you in a leotard and a thong and give you some ribbons to dance around in uh, the next Olympics. So that is a challenge, of course. Uh, but, of course, reaching the young is a challenge because, you know, a lot of their family, a lot of their parents uh, have the same um, delusions as the majority. And so it is a real challenge. I think that the government is doing a fantastic job of inoculating the young. I mean, the young were really into Obama. And uh, I think that they can see, you know, somebody put up a video the other day of the candidate Obama debating with the president Obama about things like uh, security and transparency and openness and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it's 
it's ridiculous when you just see how many lies are put forward uh, before somebody actually gets into power. Once they get into power, they're completely unaccountable. They're, they don't lose their job by breaking their promises. You know, if you lie on your resume, you get your ass kicked out of the door the next day if somebody finds out and yet you can lie to get into office and there's no repercussions whatsoever so it's a minimum job requirement doing a fantastic job of discrediting itself in the eyes of the young particularly the obama supporters who really felt there were going to be a change through this guy and there was just for the worst sadly well you know i mean they had to wonder right from the very beginning when they obama brought in all of bush's crew i i'm you know seriously (laughs) You know, I, this is, and it wasn't a surprise. I, you know, it kind of was. I was thinking at least, you know, they would get somebody, you know, different from the home office. But I think their bench is getting pretty light. I don't think they have that many people anymore that they feel they can trust to continue the empire. And I'll tell you when I realized this. It was when Dick Cheney was picked for VP for Bush. You know, www.bush. www.warmonger.com Bush, okay? I am like going... Cheney? Are you freaking kidding me? I remember, you know, he was in, oh, as I, Scott Horton, we had him on uh, recently. He had a, a speech that he uh, sent to me, a uh, presentation that he was doing at a university or something, and I was watching it, and he was talking about how when Cheney was representing Halliburton, he goes over to Iran, and he's like, oh, yeah, Clinton's a bad guy. We need, we need to open up relations with Iran. We love Iran. Iran's my favorite people. But, you know, it's only under their conditions. If they don't get them to be part of the livestock of the herd, you know, well, then we got to nuke you, you know? So it's, I'm, I'm so, from your perspective, of being outside looking in, how does the the war machine affect the Canadian people? I mean, do you speak for, you know, kind of with the the mindset of the Canadian people or just humanity in general? Is it from the outside looking in? I'm wondering, Canada, what role do they play in this? You know, where are they? How do they see what their role is? They're going to the break. When we come back, you know, that's where we're going to pick it up from. There are other countries involved in governments and stuff, too. How do they feel they're being represented? Are they ready to storm Washington, you know, monument, uh, the mall there with Americans? There are those that just want to be left alone and those that just won't leave them alone. Which one are you? The Ernest Hancock Show. Stephen Molyneux, you ferner. You know, tell me, tell me. You know, where, where's that theme come from? Where's that music? What is that? How do you recognize that? Do you? Johnny Quest. You know, I, I don't recognize it, but I really feel like I should be riding a horse in some planes oh, uh, after some you, distant enemy. Have you ever heard of Johnny Quest, the cartoon, the show? Ferner. Yeah, yeah, but I think <sighs> I was growing up in England. It wasn't available here, and by the time I got here, I was too old to watch it, but I've heard of it, yeah. Oh, man, that's what I see. I always ask guests, you know, it's rare that you get anybody that knows what that is, but there's a special prize waiting for them. Okay. This is <laughs> the one thing that I wanted to, you know, make sure we got into. I still am fascinated by someone that, one, you know, they, we have one gentleman that uh, calls it the language of liberty, being English, and he has programs all over the world that he goes around these young people and they teach them to teach you know it's kind of this uh, uh um this viral thing they're trying to create in the minds of generation next and i'm very supportive of what they're doing 
So my thing is, is that, you know, they have a different perspective on America. A lot of times they'll come here and they, you know, they, and one state is different from another. A group from Poland will come here and I take them out shooting and they're freaking, man, they can't take enough pictures to put on their Facebook in Poland. You know, and then they're a rock star because they got a, you know, a battle rifle. So I'm going, this is from your perspective. Do you see America, uh, certainly from your view, are they near rebellion? Are the Canadians like, yeah, right on, you know, uh, you know, uh, we know what it's about. You know, you guys go ahead and go give them what fur and maybe we'll golf clap. Or are we, you know, more enslaved because we think we might have the option of advocating for freedom? Are we livestock? Are we, I mean, where do you see or you think Canadian people see or they look at Americans and they go, wow, they'll put up with anything. I mean, you know, damn. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's your perspective on that? How are we seeing? Do you know Everything in America, Ernie, is getting wider and wider. And that to me is, you know, there's a huge cultural split that's just getting wider and wider and wider. So the statistics are clear, right? The, the gap between the rich and the poor is getting wider and wider. The gap between the educated and the uneducated is getting wider and wider. The gap between those who have opportunities and those who don't. The gap between those who are in gated communities and those who are in ghettos. Just getting wider and wider. And the gap between the people who are enraged at the incredible growth in, in power and, and fear of particularly the federal government, also local governments as well, uh, and, and those who are complacent and those who are bought off by the government, you know, like half of America gets a lot of its income from the government and half of it's paying for that income. So the gap between those who are being forced to pay and those who are receiving the money is getting wider and wider, the haves and the have-nots. So what's happening is America is like watching, it's like watching a ship sailing along a stormy ocean that is just splitting down the middle. Uh, and so one of the things that I think you can see is, uh, I find it quite interesting when you look at the articles on the scandals, I sort of, I read the articles briefly, and I really look at the comments in general, and the comments are so incredibly polarized. You know, there's people who are saying, you know, well, I've got my guns, I got my food in the basement, I'm ready for what's coming next. And there are other people who are like, hey, man, the government's your friend, it's here to help. And there really is just such a wide divide in America that um, there is going to be definitely a cultural civil war that is going to be erupting soon. Uh, of course, it's everyone's hope that it remains peaceful and the transition to a more peaceful society is as peaceful as possible. Whether that can be achieved or not, I don't know. There are just so many people on the opposite side of the gun, right? There are people who are receiving the benefits of the gun, and there are people who the gun is pointing at who are extracting those benefits from them. That split is something that is really terrifying to see uh, because uh, it's really unpredictable to see where this is going to go uh, when the government runs out of money, which it inevitably is going to do, or when inflation hits, which unless things change, it is inevitably going to do. So, um, yeah, I see this just massive, ever-increasing gap in American society where people are just shouting incomprehensible slogans at each other across a ever-widening lava canyon. You know, we just doing a um, some T-shirts that we, you know, we have uh, a T-shirt making silkscreen thing here, and the guys come over and they do whatever, and we have one that is... Um, uh, it says, government doesn't work, I want my money back. And it's around <laughs> it, okay, is a, is a graph. It's just like a you know, rectangle square, and it has at an angle going up, it has government promises. Then at the bottom, and it starts at, you know, 1787, the Constitution or whatever, and it says individual freedom. So it kind of doesn't match. I mean, it's down here, like this. It's down here. And it goes up and down and down and up and down and up and down and up. And it keeps kind of trending down. And you have, okay, well, they had the alien sedition. Well, it went down. 
They had the, you know, the, various different things. Like, the Civil War, oh, that took a dump down. You know, then maybe a little bit up. And then and all of a sudden, you know, the, the Great Society, the, you know, whatever the heck. It's all more socialism, the Federal Reserve, IRS, it goes down. Then it hits 9-11, boom, it falls off the chart. And the, the reason we did that, and we call it the revolution gap, when the distance between what was promised and what reality is gets to a certain point, you always have revolutions. And, and there's a lot of sparks for it. You know, some, you know, in V for Vendetta, a little girl gets, you know, shot in the back, but there's an environment. In uh, Turkey, you have, oh, they're going to build a mall and we don't want every, you know, and all of a sudden the entire country goes into riot. It's because they wanted to build a mall. No, that was just a flashpoint. There's all this other stuff behind it. There is going to be something happening happening here in the United States. It's going to be something. And they're always like, oh, the NSA thing, that's it. I go, I've been through this a gazillion times. You know, uh, a lot of people thought when the Downing Street memo thing came out that the Iraq war was just all BS. You know, well, that's what, no, it's not. You know, what's going to happen? It's going to be economics. It's going to be, you know, hey, man, it's like what happened the Arab Spring. I can't feed myself. I don't have the food. It's too expensive. The shelves are bare. It's going to be, I'd be hungry, bow, bow, bow. That is what's going to happen, in my opinion. So I'm like, yeah. you know, what's going to save us? What the philosophy? What, you know, what, how are we going to get into the next after stage and it be better instead of, you know, giving Chancellor, what's his name, you know, coming all this power to fix it for me? You know, help me out here. Well, I think it's, you know, the revolution, I think, has always been a great phrase. And there are the people who are receiving uh, all of these, quote, benefits from the government. And when the government runs out of money, the government can't pay its bills. Those people are going to want to have a revolt because they're going to be basically the poor people in Egypt who can't feed themselves. When you stop getting the welfare checks, when you stop getting your SSI or your, your whatever it is, SSDI, uh, then there's going to be a desire for them to take to the streets. There's going to be riots because they have cornered themselves into such a position of helpless dependence that they've lost all kind of pride in themselves, all kind of belief in their ability to uh, to sustain themselves, to work, to be productive. Their self-esteem is in the toilet and so on. And I think, you know, like this show Intervention on TV, I've watched a couple of times where you sit down with someone who's really addicted to something negative and you say, look, out of love for you, I have to tell you what the reality is. I have to tell you what the truth is. I have to tell you how terrible this is for you. No matter how good it feels in the moment, it is killing you. It's killing our family. It's killing our community. And these people who are addicted to to the state benefits, to state power, and I mean this by the rich as well, right? Because it's the military-industrial complex as well. It's easy to pick on the welfare of people, but, you know, we're talking about the rich people as well, those, the the, the financial industry, the lobbyists. We have to, with love, uh, take away these uh, terrible addictions to the fruits of power, to the fruits of violence. If we can find it in our hearts to take things away from people out of love rather than out of vengeance, I think we have a chance to do this thing peacefully. But if it's um, if it's going to be reactionary and angry and rage-filled, then it's just going to escalate. But if we can find it in our hearts to reach out with love to people who are addicted to the fruits of violence, try and take those fruits gently from their hands with all the compassion and generosity of spirit that we can muster, I think that we have the best chance, but you, you you can't scream and yell at people who have become so addicted to this these fruits of this this state power. Uh, it's just going to be a cause an escalation that's going to tear the country apart. So well, I think that's the great challenge. You know, it's not like love your enemy; it's love those who who've been propagandized into believing that dependence on state power uh, is sustainable or even acceptable. Won't you be my neighbor? That's the title theme <laughs> of what we're doing. Seriously, you know, you look at the you go to Freedom's Phoenix, you go to the top left under the bird it says magazine radio tv there and the drop down the second option is 
online magazine. The last cover of this last month was what? Won't you be my neighbor? And we're showing number did that, that. So we wrote articles and introduced ourselves to our neighbors here. We've been here a couple of years, but we haven't really made an effort because, you know, we're like, you know, a bunch of crazies. We're not sure what they think politically, but won't you be my neighbor? We want you not to starve so you don't have to come kill my dog for food. I mean, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> and now, live from the studios of Freedom's Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Oh, mama, I think the whole world's addicted to the drama. Only attracted to things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism. But we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA. Stephen Molyneux, that, that's, what, that's exactly what he might as well wrote the lyrics. You know, that's what he was advocating. He's going, hey, man, it's all about the love, love illusion. You know, this is where I can see, I, I, I really like that song. I tell you where it has a... You know, um, a kind of special part, uh, place in my heart, is uh, my youngest daughter. She produced for me for a couple of years. And she, you know, she heard all this. She's just like, yeah, she grew up this, yeah, whatever. You know, that, that, doesn't everybody's family advocate for freedom? You're done? I didn't know that. And um, she's uh, 21, 22 at the time. And she went to a Black IP concert, and she actually listened to the lyrics of this. And she came... Dad, 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 you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this song. And I'd heard it on the radio before. I never paid any attention to it. And I'm going, wow, you know, where's the love? We even did bumper sticker with, you know, they had a logo, a question mark thing that we did with the love logo. So we got bumper stickers and T-shirts and everything based on my daughter's infatuation with this song. And it's based on everything that Stephen Molyneux was just talking about. Now, off air, I know a lot of you guys know, but I just showing them our Aqua Dome and Won't You Be My Neighbor Project and all that kind of stuff. Because that's really where we're going. I'm going, look, man, if you don't love your neighbor, you know, he, he might not love you back. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm like, even though they're bad and they're misinformed and propaganda, I think most people are good or at least want to do what they think is good. They've just been propagandized. And they want to be liked, and they want to be popular, and they want to be whatever. And one thing that Stefan Molyneux does is he gets right. I mean, the first thing that I was exposed to him was something I really recognized was, uh, I guess you look it up, Statism 13 or something, stuff and can tell us about that. But it was the concept that you get uh, a lot more productivity when people are free, but you create this engine that supplies the means by which you get you know, not free anymore. And you may have a free-range chicken out there, and he's more productive and healthier and everything, but in the end, you wind up in a chicken McNugget box. So when I saw all, all this stuff, the Matrix, Statism is Dead 13 or something like that, you can look it up, I was, I'm going, man, who the heck is this guy? And it's a year or more later that I actually met him, and I go, you the freaking man. I mean, are you still doing those kinds of videos and stuff, Stefan? Yeah, actually, we've just, I think, uh, passed uh, 16 or 17 million views uh, on uh, on YouTube. So, yeah, I'm still, still doing those kinds of videos. I'm actually working with uh, Sean Lennon and Pete Drungle um, on a documentary. Uh, they're doing the music, and I've written the script, and uh, we're working away on that. It's hopefully going to be out later this year. I've been slightly delayed by my ailments of, uh, uh, of a kind. So, um, yeah, we're still still trying to get the word out, still trying to get the message out. Uh, Tell me about and, the documentary. Um, so yeah, the idea, of course, is that you know we 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 kind of got this freedom uh, uh, just before the industrial revolution, and people mistook this like, well, we're just going to get more and more free, but all they found was that you know under slavery you didn't get much productivity out of your slaves because they had no ambition, no inertia, no entrepreneurship. 
Well, lots of inertia. And and then they switched to serfdom, uh, which was slightly more productive, where you were bought and sold with the land. At least you had your little plot. Uh, and then they decided to say, hey, let's let people choose their own occupations. And they got a lot more productivity out of people. But the, the goal is more productivity. The goal is not freedom. We're kind of getting progressively more free, at least we were. But not because any of our rulers really wanted to make us free, uh, but just because the more free we think we are, the more productivity we create for them, the more assets we create, the more they can use it as leverage to borrow against our productivity, thus enslaving future generations with our own sweat and labor. It really is a horrible trap, which is going to exist as long as the state uh, exists, uh, which yeah, is why is- you, you can't really, I think, advocate for a smaller state. You know, you rewind this tape, it's just going to play the same way out again. Thank you. That, this is, you know, I, I, want to, I want you to dwell on that a little bit, explain what you just said. Because I, there was a, it was another video that you had, and uh, I mean, you know, you, you might as well just you know get some coffee and put your feet up because you know Stefan starts a video. But the thing is, is that it was on uh, the concept that any government, you know, especially ones that have just a little government, what happens is it gives the people the incentive to be enormously productive, and then they start tapping into that. And, you know, a country that's as prosperous as the United States, you know, without us even really noticing, we created this enormous surveillance war welfare state thing because they could. And they gave us enough freedom for us to supply the engine for them. And then they always do what happened you described. So explain that to people so that it sticks in, man, because, I mean, that really had a big impact on me. Look, why do we have an NSA scandal? Why do we have all this metadata or actual data being collected? Because we have the remnants of a free market, which has produced companies like Google, like Microsoft, like Verizon, like Sprint. And so because we have the remnants of the free market, we have all the technological productivity of what's left of the free market. That is what has given the government all this power. The government is simply picking up on all the productivity of the free market and turning it against us. Why didn't we have this stuff in the Middle Ages? Because no free market in the Middle Ages. So the problem is whenever you um, come up with great things, whenever you come up with wonderful technology, the government will simply grab it and use it against the people. This is why having the remnants of the free market is so dangerous because it, all the technology that the government is using to to monitor us, I think all the closed circuit TV stuff, uh, all of the uh, spying software, the GPS trackers, all of this stuff, some of it was developed originally for military use, but it's all been popularized and given to the average person through uh, the free market. And so it's when you still have a government, all you're doing is feeding the beast that is going to control you when you have Uh, a free market. And now this chilling effect where everyone feels that everything they're doing online is being monitored, that is a real chilling effect on uh, on our ability to freely communicate with each other. So uh, it's really, really dangerous. As long as you still have a government, the more productive, the more innovative, the more creative the free market is, the more they're going to grab all of this stuff and use it to further control and monitor the citizens. I mean, imagine if we had all of this creativity and productivity without the free market, We'd be sailing through the stars right now. Why can't we have good stuff? Why can't we have stuff that doesn't turn against us? Because we have a state that is going to constantly co-opt all of the great things we create and use it against us. It's a, it's a horrible trap, but it's going, to, it's, a say, it's going to exist as long as the state does. So when is the state going to go away? I mean, it has to go away first in our heads. And I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, what, what is the, you know, the, your best practice that you have for uh, creating a, an environment that we 
don't have a state in our heads. I mean, they go, there'll always be a government. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe for you. I mean, I, you know, but not for me. Well, there's always going to be a, you're, you're in the jurisdiction. We drew this line, you know, the circle, and you were inside it, so you're in it. And I'm going, no. I mean, unless you all of a sudden you're injecting some, you know, cord in the back of my head, I'm not in it. And they go, yeah, you are. Right. And they're pissed off because you're a crab that's escaped from the bucket. And they keep trying to pull you back in. And I'm like, what is it that does that? They have to, They is, is it genetic? I mean, is it human nature? Is it learned? Is it, you know, special secret handshake Illuminati, you know, book, you know, uh, the month club for tyrants or something? I mean, where does this come from? Well, it comes from how we're raised. It comes from early childhood. It comes from. Uh, it comes from parents hitting their children, saying don't hit people. That immediately creates a double standard for those who are in authority who can use violence to oppose violence. And this is what makes us accept things like taxation. It happens when we hand our children over to the state and send them through public schools, uh, where all they hear about is how wonderful the state is and how if there was no state, it would be like the purge, you know, like the one day, the movie with the one day a year where everyone can do whatever they want. And of course, immediately what they want to do is start killing each other. It's all the myth that we have about how we only have to be afraid of our fellow citizens, not the people who have nuclear weapons, guns, prison systems, uh, national debts and all that. So it, it comes into how we're raised. I mean, there's an article that came out recently that said libertarianism is a cult. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, the military is a cult. Public school is a cult. I mean, this is where they indoctrinate people night and day to believe in all the things that are toxic to their souls. Uh, it's natural. I mean, we have to raise our children, keep them away from the state, keep them away from hypocrisy on the part of parents, keep them away from violence and intimidation, and they won't believe in the state when they get up. I am very glad that you're still with us. It looks like you're going to be for a while. You know, we need this transition. I mean, you know, there's uh, there's you know, there's a, a lot of things that need to be done. And there's few people that, that have had the impact on me. That, of course, then impacts how I communicate with my audience. And few people have had as much impact on me as Stefan Molyneux. And I want to thank, thank Stefan Molyneux for doing such a great job in advocating for the leave me alone-ism that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in with. You know, and I just, and I'm glad that it's not just in America. You know, it's like, you know, Canada, keep an eye on us. Oh, oh, oh. Stay there. I want to show you something. The audience knows it's like a hassle-free zone in Mexico. You know, we got we can go to Mexico to be hassle-free. I'll tell you all about it.